Luke chapter 17 is where we're going to be today. This is such a, a unique time of year. It is the day that we celebrate fathers. It's Father's Day's Day. And dads are important. They're important in our lives. And, and kind of sadly, all too often in our culture, often dad's importance is minimized. If you look at commercials or TV shows, dad is kind of the bumbling buffoon who kind of gets through stuff. Um, and the reality is, dads have great power. They have power to influence, and they have power to do great harm. Being both a dad and a grandpa, I am fully aware of the, the depth of my responsibility. And, uh, you know, getting together with the whole family is, is great. We've had those opportunities, and, and yet, at the same time, when we're not together, I know, uh, and I say this in, in, in actually fear and trepidation, I know my influence carries on. Um, one thing that many dads do, sometimes they do it uh, in actual teaching, sometimes they do it in um, just their actions, is they help their children learn to be prepared. You know, there are things that happen in life that we cannot plan for. They just happen. And a good dad, I believe, has lived in a way that his children see. Dad was ready. Whether it was an emergency fund that he set up and he told us about it, or whether it was just kind of foreseeing something coming down the road, dad helped his kids prepare. But a good dad also doesn't live in that preparation nature. A good dad isn't always worried about the future. I think a good dad knows how to live a balanced life, knows how to celebrate the now, knows how to appreciate the joy of the now. A good dad helps his children celebrate who they are and who they can become. And that is a phrase I want you to be aware of. There's an already not yet reality to life. You're already a great kid, but you've not yet seen how amazing God can help you to be. Now, this is a unique time of year because we've just come out of graduation season. And, and I think that, not, that already not yet is, is a reality in graduation season. You know, the, the hard work of studying and learning writing papers, taking exams, is celebrated on graduation day. It's an educational milestone that should be celebrated, whether it's high school graduation or college graduation, maybe someone graduating from a trade school, someone finishing their graduate school work or postgraduate work. The studies have been completed, the degrees are conferred, and they are to be celebrated. And yet, it's an Already, not yet. Yes, you've already completed all this, but you are not yet aware of how much potential you have and what you can achieve. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke here today. And the section we're going to look at, it's, it's relatively lengthy. It's a, it's a section that really has an already, not yet flavor to it. But it also takes us one step further. Because we're going to learn a little bit about what it looks like to wait for the not yet to be reality. 
In Luke chapter 17, Jesus is talking to two different audiences. And I would tell you this in your Bible reading, in your personal Bible study, as much as you can ascertain, it's always good to look at and say, who is Jesus speaking to in this instance? Because who he's speaking to is going to really influence the words he uses and the point that he's making. So, so who is Jesus speaking to this moment. And in this particular moment, we see him first speaking to the Pharisees. Now, I'm not going to read the entire thing all the way through. We're going to take it in sections. So listen here in uh, chapter uh, 17, verse 20. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. The Pharisees were constantly in this process of either validating, or I would say trying to invalidate the message of Jesus. And so as a result, they, they saw themselves, because of their history, because of where they had come, they, they saw themselves as the gatekeepers. They were the gatekeepers of everything that was true and right, according to them. And so everything that they heard from any teacher had to be run through their grid. And so they asked a question that many would ask, when will the kingdom of God come? What they were really asking was, when are we going to be free from Roman oppression? When is this going to be lifted? When is the kingdom of God going to come and free us from all the stuff that we're suffering. Now, underneath that was an expectation and also a teaching that the kingdom of God would be preceded by just these amazing, cataclysmic, cosmic signs. And, and it would the entrance of the kingdom of God would be nothing short of epic. Now, Jesus comes along and he preaches the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He does it all the time. He'll tell them, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And it confused people because his message didn't come with the cataclysmic things that they thought it should come with. In fact, even John the Baptist got confused. We saw it earlier in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. John the Baptist gets thrown into prison because he spoke out against Herod, and, and he sends his disciples to Jesus. And remember, he asked them, are you the one who's coming, or should we look for someone else? John was confused. And remember, Jesus' answer was to quote Isaiah's prophecy, the blind are receiving sight, the lame are walking. The lepers are being cleansed. The good news is being preached to the poor. What Jesus reminded him is, John, I'm doing the work that was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. It's, a, it's the work of changed lives. Don't look for the great big cataclysmic events. Look at the changed lives. And, and I would submit to you this morning, Jesus is the key to understanding the kingdom of God. Jesus is the key. Jesus' answer to the, to the Pharisees, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. 
That word that's translated observed is a word that can be used elsewhere to talk about scientific observation. The kingdom of God is not something you can study. It's not something that you can kind of look at and build a a formula around. It's not something that you can kind of study the atmosphere and go, boom, there's the kingdom of heaven. It's here. Remember a few years ago? actually as recently as December of 2020, but even before that, there was a lot of hype out there about a lunar eclipse and the blood moon. And the fact that when the eclipse happened, there was this atmospheric condition that as the sun started to move away, the moon looked red. And there was an individual that made a lot of money talking about how the blood moon was the beginning of the apocalypse and the fact that we were going to have two blood moons in such close proximity is that's it, that's the beginning, you better prepare because the end is near, it's going to happen. And yet, here we are. I think that's a 21st century reminder of what Jesus is saying here. No one can predict the final coming of the kingdom of God. We can't do it. So he says to the the Pharisees, it's not something that can be observed, nor will people say, well, here it is, there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus said the reason you can't claim or predict that you found the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is here. And I believe Jesus is talking about himself. I am the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. In other words, you wouldn't know the kingdom of God if it stood right in front of your face because it's standing right in front of your face and you don't recognize it anyway. Now, I would just say this. Some of your translations have maybe this translation. The kingdom of God is within you or the kingdom of God is in you. And I would say that's an unfortunate translation because it opens the door for a lot of misinterpretation. The kingdom of God was not in the people that were oppressing and opposing Jesus. Some say, well, the kingdom of God is within me, so I just have to peel back all these layers and look deep inside me, and there's the kingdom. I hearken back to a sociologist named Tony Campolo, and he said one day a young person walked into his office and said, Prof, I'm leaving school. Why are you leaving school? I've got to go find myself. He said, well, what happens if you find out you're an onion? What do you mean? He said, well, if you take an onion and you peel back all those layers, eventually you end up with nothing. You know, and people say, I got to find myself. I got to be my authentic self, my true self. And that's where the kingdom is. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not where the kingdom is. The kingdom begins with Jesus. What do you want to know what the kingdom of God is all about? What's this mysterious thing that we've had throughout the book of Luke? And you'll see it in Matthew. What's the kingdom of heaven? What's the kingdom of God? Look at Jesus. Look at how he lived his life on this earth. Look at what he taught. Pattern your life after Jesus. His simple command was, follow me. If you follow Jesus, then you're going to be following the teaching of the kingdom of heaven. The presence of Jesus was part of the already kingdom some would say his was the inauguration of the first phase of the kingdom his coming was the beginning of the kingdom of God that one day is going to be here for all of us 
That's the already, but there's a future aspect to the kingdom. And we see that in the next few verses, beginning in verse 22. Now note, we don't know how much time goes between verse 21 and verse 22, but note, it's a different audience. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day, of Lot, the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who was on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night two people will be in bed. One will be taken, another left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, another left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Some disturbing stuff there. If we look at it and say, well, this is just too hard to understand, but I think we can understand it. I think we can get it. Jesus is speaking to the future. The already is Jesus is the representative. He's God in the flesh. He is the kingdom now. That's the already. The not yet is there's a day coming. And Jesus speaks to the future. He says the days are going to come when you're going to long to see just one of the days of the Son of Man. There's going to come a time when you're going to think it can't get any worse than it is right now. God has to step in. But remember, we do not dictate the terms to God. So Jesus uses the same phrase with the disciples that he used to the Pharisees. Let me put it in today's term. Don't get caught up when someone says Jesus is going to return on a certain day. I've told you this before. There was a, I think it was 1988, 88 reasons why Jesus is going to return in 1988. Do you know there was a sequel to that book? 89 reasons why Jesus is going to return in 1989. There wasn't another book written. Don't get caught up in that. Jesus said nobody knows the time or the hour. In fact, when he said that in Matthew, he said, I don't even know. Don't get caught up in those things. It's above our pay grade. When Jesus returns, there is going to be no guesswork. There's going to be no doubt. And in fact, he reminds his disciples of a very important reality. A reality that I believe 
is the next inauguration or the next phase of the kingdom. And it's a reality that he has mentioned to them several times. He mentioned it in Luke 9, verses 21 to 27. He mentioned it in Luke 9, verses 43 to 51. He mentions it here. He'll mention it again in Luke 18, 31 to 34. What is he mentioning? The day is coming when the Son of Man will be turned over and will suffer many things and be rejected. So he says, when the Son of Man comes, there's going to be no doubt. It's going to be like lightning. You won't, you won't be able to anticipate it, but you won't doubt it. But remember, before all of that happens, there's another day coming. A day when the Son of Man will suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. You know, the disciples should have never been surprised when Jesus was arrested, tried, convicted, crucified, and rose again. He had warned them time and time again. And we ought to be mindful of that. That is the most important. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is so crucial because it was that that brought in what I would say what we would call the last days. You see, I had somebody ask me recently, do you think we're in the last days? Yes. Really? Do you think all the signs have been fulfilled for Jesus to return? Yes, I do. What do you think they are? His death, burial, and resurrection. The day Jesus ascended into heaven, all the, we entered in the last days. Don't be looking for signs everywhere. They're going to always lead you astray. You're going to always be disappointed. Nobody can predict this time. So Jesus gives two illustrations. And, and in these illustrations, it's the immediacy that's the point. He says it was in the days of Noah. So in the days of Noah, so it's going to be in the days of Son of Man. What was going on in the days of Noah? People were eating. Do you have breakfast today? People were drinking. Or your coffee today? Uh, people were marrying and being given in marriage. They were living life. They were living life day to day. They were eating, drinking, getting married. It was just, it was life. And in the days of Noah, it's going to be just like, you know, just like it was in the days of Noah. Now for 120 years, Noah said, you know, there's a day coming, people, and God's going to send a flood, and it's going to wipe you out. And they're like, yeah, right, we got a wedding to attend. Sorry. You know, ah, you know what? I got a barbecue over here, Noah. I can't listen to you now. And then the flood came. Noah and his family are on the ark. Boom, wipes them out. Jesus said, it's going to be that way. People are just going to be living life, and God will finally say, we're done. He says it was the same way in the days of Lot. Lot is called a righteous man in 2 Peter 2.7. Most of our Sunday school lessons really make him out to be a bad guy. He was so selfish and this and that. And Peter says he was a righteous man and he was distressed by what was going on. He was in the city of Sodom. It was a city of great wickedness. Of so many immoral things, not the least of which the basics, the basic fundamental standard of hospitality was totally thrown away in the city of Solomon. They at Sodom, they cared nothing. But look, in Lot's day, 
they were eating and drinking again. They were living life, buying, selling, planting, building. They were living life. They were eating, drinking, socializing. There was commerce going on. They were buying and selling. Agriculture was happening. They were planting and reaping. They were planning and designing and building. They were just living their life. But on the day that God stepped in and said to Lot and his family, you need to get out of here now because God heard and honored the prayer of Abraham. And, and, and remember, the angel had to finally grab them and drag them out of town because that day, as soon as they got to safety, the city was destroyed. He says, it's going to be that way. We're going to live and we're going to just go through life. But one day God is going to say, it is done. The day of God's judgment will take everybody by surprise. And only those who have prepared their hearts will survive God's judgment. That's really harsh words. That's, that's not user-friendly. I get that. But let me just say this. The second thing I want you to remember today, I prepare for the not yet part of God's kingdom through true heart change, through my relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. You and I cannot predetermine who's going to make the cut. We go on. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man re is revealed. And we have this whole list here. No one who is on the housetop should go back and get their stuff. And likewise, no one who's in the field should look back. Remember Lot's wife. Back to the story of Lot. They're running up. They're running. They're charging out of there. They are getting out of Dodge or Sodom. And all of a sudden, they hear the rumble. And Lot's wife turned back. She was longing for the comforts of the city. And they were told, don't look back or you'll become a pillar of salt. And she did. And, and, and the point is, there is nothing that you give up in your relationship with God through Jesus Christ that is worth turning back and longing for. Jesus gave up everything for us. We give up nothing for him in the broad scheme of things. Bear in mind that kingdom values run in direct contrast to earthly values. See, the people in Noah's day, the people in Lot's day, they were living life. Just day after day, doing the normal things that you do in living life. They were doing it day after day. You see, living life right now in the moment is not wrong. Maybe today you're, you're celebrating dad and you're having a cookout. Or maybe you posted something on Facebook and happy Father's Day. Maybe today's just a down day for you. Maybe tomorrow you've got plans and, and, and maybe you're planning and you're working on a vacation. None of that is wrong. Living life should be lived. But we live it with the idea that everything in this life is temporary. Now, we watch a, a show, uh, we record it and watch it because we like the Property Brothers. It's called Property Brothers Forever Home. You know that phrase, forever home, kind of gets to me. I know what they're trying to say. 
This is the house we want to spend the rest of our lives in. This is the house we want to grow old in. This is the house that when we're old and gray and we have grandkids, that they'll all come back to this house. I get that. I get that. I remember once when one of our grandkids was very young, our eldest grandkid was very young, they were moving uh, to a new place. And I remember the security that came out or the need for security as she sat there with me one day in our living room and said, you're not moving too, are you, Grandpa? You know, and I realized, oh, this is a place she knows. This is a place that's not changing. I get all of that. But in reality, folks, there is no such thing as a forever home because you don't know about forever. You don't even know about tomorrow. Everything in this world is temporary. The newest vehicle today, the fastest, maybe, maybe last week you had the opportunity to go to Best Buy and you got the biggest, fastest computer by next month. There'll be something better. I mean, it's just changing that fast. It's all temporary. Maybe you bought a new car. You know, by next year, there. I mean, if you're buying a car this year and you get yourself a 2021 whoop-de-doo, they're already working on the 2022 whoop-de-doo. That's going to make the 2021 whoop-de-doo not so good. It's that way. When I put all my stock and all my importance on the realities of this life, there is some joy and there is some pleasure. And I might even find some meaning for a time. But what do I do when it's over? What do I do when the forever home catches fire and all the memories in that home go up with it in smoke? Then what? What do I do when the 2021 best vehicle and car and driver gets totaled? Then what? Oh, I got insurance. Yeah, it's never the same. What do I do? It's only through true heart change, through putting my faith in Jesus Christ, do I realize there is so much more than just this life. And Jesus is worth the investment. So, an earthly focus solely on pleasures and things is always going to come up short. See, it's not easy to read this passage about judgment and destruction because on the one hand, we see destruction all the time, don't we? I mean, every weekend, every weekend, people are shot in the city of Chicago, just down the road. Every weekend. We, I mean, if you live near Champaign, Illinois, you've experienced a 3.8 earthquake on the Richter scale earlier this week. Earthquakes. We now have forest fire season, and you just see the destruction. Disease. Remember that thing called a pandemic? You know, just disease and all. Hurricanes, tropical storms, it's all around us. So Jesus says, when I return, the judgment, which is going to look like destruction, is going to be swift, it's going to be complete, and it's going to be no respecter of persons for those who have chosen to put themselves in front of everything else, it will be final. And so we have this list. 
No one, you know, we have this list of uh, two people in bed and, and one going and one taken and one and, and, and two women will be uh, grinding grain and together and one's taken and one's left. And, and what's all that about? It's about the fact that only God knows who his true servants are. And only you know because of the Holy Spirit indwelling you that you're his true servant. You see, in God's eyes, there's only really two types of people on the planet. Those who are living for themselves and all they can get right now, and those who have put their complete and total trust in the Father through the person and work of Jesus and are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and learning to listen to him as he guides them. Jesus leaves us with this reminder of just this really ultimate destruction in verse 37 where the dead body where there is a dead body, the vultures will gather. It's the idea that when, when God steps in, it's going to be complete. It's going to be total. So what do I do? How, how, how do I live now? Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I should just drop completely out of society and, and just become a hermit and get some land somewhere and, and just withdraw. Maybe that's the safest thing to do, just to completely unplug and, and get away from everything. Well, you won't find that in the Bible. Maybe I should just surround myself then with people, people who look like me and act like me and think like me, and we just all agree, and, and we just kind of form this little clique of, 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 of the holy and the righteous, and, and we define it that way. Well, you're not going to find that in the Bible either. I believe Jesus tells us a story, and once again, the audience is his disciples. And it actually, Luke tells us what the point of the parable is before we get to the parable. And that starts in verse 1 of chapter 18. Jesus told them, his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And he tells this story. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. There was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. The Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? God's plan was not the oppression of widows, which so often happened. His plan, his design, his law was that they be cared for. And remember, the children of a widow were already called orphans, so they were to be taken care of. And, and in this story, somebody is an adversary to this widow. We don't know what the adversarial position was. It may have been he was trying to take her dowry. It may have been he was trying to take any investment she had. Maybe her husband had left her with some land that she could... Uh, you know, rent out and have an income. We don't know. But we know there's a, a judge, and, and we know he's prominent in the community. 
And Jesus says he didn't fear God and he didn't care what people thought. So obviously it was not an elected position because he would care what people thought then. But this widow is relentless in her plea. She keeps coming to him. She knows what she is entitled to. She knows the protection under God's law that she's entitled to. And she is relentless in her pleas for justice. And finally, he just says, whatever. I don't want her to keep bugging me anymore. I love that line. Might She might come and attack me. I don't know the exegesis of that, but you know, she, she might make my life miserable. I don't need the bad press. I don't need the bad social media press. I'm just going to do what she wants. Jesus sometimes takes bad illustrations and shows us in them the complete opposite. And he says this, if the judge is an unjust judge, and listen to what he says, then just think about what a God of justice will do. God is a God of justice, and God will bring justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. God doesn't get weary of your prayers. The judge got weary of the woman's pleas. Don't equate the judge with God in that way. God loves it when you pray. Remember the point of the, prayer, the parable. Always pray and don't give up. For those of you who went through our Revelation study with us, remember that verse, Revelation 5, verse 8? And it says, at around the throne room of God, there are these golden bowls of incense. And what's in those gold? It's, it's the prayers of God's people. Your prayers to God are like incense to him. They're an aroma that pleases him. Pray and don't give up. How do I live in the not yet? I ought to live a life of prayer. And our prayers are precious. And notice at the very end, will he find faith on the earth? Have you prayed for something and stopped? Start up again. Have you gotten weary? I keep asking God and I just don't see anything happening. God's timing is perfect. And he waits until the right time Keep asking. Until you hear God in some clear way say, no, keep praying, keep asking. That's faith. But let me wrap this up by giving you four simple principles what we should do with all of this. And here's the first one. Live kingdom principles now. Don't wait for some kingdom to come to say, well, then I'll start following Jesus. You start now. Live kingdom principles now. What does that mean? A, Put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you have not yet done that, put your faith in Jesus who died on the cross for your sins, who was buried, who rose again the third day. And as you do that, then you're going to learn what it means to love God, to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, to love your neighbors yourself. Remember, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Make it a practice to listen. You know, you may not know this, but I'm one of those men that have more than my allotment of words. Most men, they say, have 10 to 15,000 words a day. I think my wife thinks I have about 30,000. Uh, uh, I work at learning to listen. There are some mornings I'll come and I'll sit right there 
and I'll just be quiet. And sometimes I think God wants me to just to be there in the quiet. It's not like he says, okay, you can go back to the office now. I'm really tired of seeing you here. No, it's not that at all. I, I'm just quiet. And I'm learning to listen. Learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. Live those kingdom principles. Uh, the idea is live today in joy, not fear. See, we know the future. We know God is going to set everything right. We know there's going to be justice. So we don't need to be afraid. Learn to use things and love people. That's the old adage. Live kingdom principles now. Here's the second one. Don't be surprised by a growing apathy toward God in our world. You see, it's the same now as it was then. Oftentimes, in fact, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, don't say, why were the old days better than today? You ever hear, oh, well, I remember back in, and you picked the decade. Oh, it was so much better. You go back and you look at any decade, and it was not so much better. There were issues. There was things going on. Yeah, so there is going to be a continual growing apathy toward God. Uh, in fact, we live in this culture. I just finished reading a book, uh, and, and it takes the word theism and it adds apathy. It's called apatheism. And it's the idea that, you know, we have, we have as, as much as we complain about it, we still have a pretty good government that takes care of us. As much as we complain about it, we have a pretty good economy. We get really busy. Isn't that the thing? How are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. Oh, I'm so busy. Or when someone says, you must be so busy, we're like, yeah, yeah, I kind of am. You know, and, and we, have, we have all we need. And, and as a result, why do I need God? And there's a growing group of people. In fact, in surveys, they call them the nuns, N-O-N-E, people that say, I don't have a religion. I don't need it. I don't need God. I got everything I need. Yeah, you go do your thing, and that's fine. I'm. There's going to be this growing apathy. The further we move chronologically from the cross, the more you're going to see it. God was not really part of the process of people living their lives in Noah's day or Lot's day. They were living their lives. God isn't often in the, pro in the process of people living their lives today. So instead of being surprised by it and going, <gasps> what do we do? Let the joy of Christ be genuine in you. Let the joy of Christ flow out of you. Make friends with people, not projects. Make friends with people and enjoy company with them and, and you will find opportunity to just share what God means to you. Others will see when you're joyful and they will also see when they, you are not. Let them see Christ in you and let them wonder. I think there's a third thing here. We need to broaden our prayer focus. Here's what I mean. This was all about prayer. P keep praying and not give up. Have you ever thought about what you pray about compared to what Jesus prayed about? Compared to what the Apostle Paul prayed about? I don't think it's wrong to pray for people who are ailing. I think that's important. I think it's important to pray for people who are struggling. I, I think it's very important to pray for people who need a job. Those things are all important. But do we also pray for God's justice? You know, this week, 
a historical thing happened. The president signed into law a new federal holiday, Juneteenth. The 19th of June is now a federal holiday. That's a day that every one of us should celebrate. The day when slavery in America was said, it's done, it's over. We have a lot of work to go, but that should be a day to celebrate. Do we pray for justice? It's World Refugee Day, 29 million people. I didn't add it up, but I'm sure it's the populations of New York City, Chicago, and Los Angeles, and then some. 29 million people are not at home today. They're fearing for their lives. They're in refugee camps, which are nothing short of sometimes of squalor. Do we pray for them? Many years ago, I saw a film... I was in a class where we were evaluating films, and this was a, a documentary. And it was a documentary dealing with the reign of terror of Idi Amin in, in Uganda. And I tell you, I'm watching that. You know, I have my notepad out. I'm going to write my critiques and all, and I had it out there. And all of a sudden, the documentary, the, the screen went blank. And the narrator just said this. Did you pray for the people of Uganda? Boy, that just, that hit me hard. Do you pray for the people of Uganda or the people of Japan or the people of Spain or the people around your neighborhood? Broaden your prayer focus to pray for those. Pray that your life will reflect God's truth and His love to others. And then, very simple, what Jesus says, remain faithful to God no matter what. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man comes, is he going to find a, a remnant of people that are just serving God no matter what, that are praising God, that are worshiping him, that are living out kingdom principles? Be faithful to God no matter what. Already, not yet. Already we can live today. Already we can enjoy all that God gives us today. Already we can be his agents in the world and reflect his truth and his grace and his kindness and his holiness. Already we live in the present and we can reflect kingdom values. Not yet. What is to come has not yet seen. We can anticipate it. We can look forward to it. Not in a way that freezes us but in a way that frees us. See, I don't have to be tied to material things. I can let that car go, or for me, that truck go. I can let it go. I don't have to be tied to that. I can use it for God's glory, but it doesn't own me. I must own it. I don't have to be tied to grandma's china that's in the china cabinet. Oh, it's beautiful and I love it and I'm glad I have it and it gives me wonderful memories, but it is temporary. And if you have a toddler in the house, you know how temporary it is. It, something will be dropped and broken at some time. I can use all of the stuff that I have, but I don't need to be captive because the not yet of God's promise is a reality, and it's far greater than anything I have here. Already, not yet. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. 
that time and time again pulls us up short. The time and time again gives us much to think about, much to pray about, much to reflect on. May we learn the balance of living in the already and enjoying all that you give us here, but longing for, praying for, and awaiting the not yet when you bring justice on the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.